1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
0: Callum Perry is, I don't know what you can call him, he's a wildlife conservationist. He lives in South Africa, he's from Ireland slash England, and the guy is... Almost has like the dream job, right? He works with lions, he works with rhinos, he does collaring, he does scientific studies on them, he works between different game reserves. Just love what he does. And so I reached out to him, I said, Hey man, why don't you come on the podcast? And the coolest thing about it is I didn't know him from a bar or soap. I also didn't know what his viewpoints or perspectives were on hunting. And purposely I didn't ask it because I wanted to have that authentic interaction on a podcast in which he just lives and breathes wildlife conservation in South Africa, and as a result, is interacting with photographics, is interacting with ecotourists, is interacting with hunters and hunting. And so you'll hear us delve into the whole debate of the benefits and necessity of hunting in wildlife conservation. I think you'll be surprised at what he says. So enjoy. Oh, one last thing. Make sure you leave a review. Make sure you leave a rating on Apple or Spotify. Share this podcast with your friends. It's the only way that we can grow our voice all around the world. It's just a very simple thing that you can do to amplify the podcast, but also amplify our true narrative and good discussions around hunting. So how much grief did you get uh, in the uh, Rugby World Cup, given that you are in South Africa? I assume from the Northern Hemisphere, I don't want to assume which uh, United Kingdom country you're from.
3: So I'm actually Irish and British, so it wasn't great. I mean, it was nice when the Irish could win the game in the group stage, but unfortunately another typical quarterfinal knockout didn't go to plan. but had my backup option, had the England team,
2: and then lost. (laughs)
0: Man, what a great game, though. What great games they were, though, man.
3: It was incredible. We were here um, at my camp with about 30 people. You had probably four or five different cultures here. And, yeah, it was – look, I was sad that England lost, but to see – Afrikaans, swana, Zulu, um, Venda, Europeans, all celebrating together was really quite cool
0: uh-huh. Uh-huh. callum you you are English and Irish, but you don't you're not coming to us from England or Ireland right now.
3: No, I'm coming to you from South Africa. I'm currently in a private game reserve in the northern side of South Africa so It's funny, I know another
0: Irishman who does exactly the same thing you do. What's up with, like, Irishmen and Englishmen, like, living in the bush in South Africa doing wildlife conservation work?
3: Well, I think the first question I should ask you is, have you ever been to England
2: or Ireland? (laughs) Touche. Touche. Yeah, I mean, it's hot today, I'm sweating here,
3: but I take that over what they're dealing with in the UK at the moment.
0: Uh, Callum Perry, welcome to the Blood Origins podcast, my friend. Thank you very much for having me on, Robbie. I'm excited for the conversation because, honestly, I don't know much about your background. I have stalked you and I have gone through all the stuff that you do. Uh, obviously, super fascinating, and I think by the end of this conversation, uh, number one, a lot of people are going to be like reaching out and saying, "Well, how can I do what you do?" Number one, and then number two, there may be a bunch of American women reaching out and going, "Hey, um, are you single in the bush? I, don't, you know, you may need some companionship." Uh, the accent always helps. <laughs> So, Callum, tell us what you are, uh, uh, what you do, who you are,
3: You know what, what brought you to where you are. Yes, I mean, I'll briefly gloss over how I got here. I just from young, always loved nature. Then when I was 18, did a gap year, volunteered on a wildlife conservation program and just decided, how can I make this my life? I love being out in the bush. I love everything that encompasses it. it. And yeah, worked out I could study conservation, so ended up where did you study conservation? In in the UK, so at the University of Kent with the School for Anthropology and um, Anthropology and Conservation. Yeah, Um, but then through that, I was doing research in the Greater Kruger every year, and just it was how do I make this my life? And then yeah, where were you doing research in Kruger? Uh, I was in Baluli private nature reserve. So I did my, actually, my master's thesis was focused on hunting, although not a hunter myself. I'm, I'm a supporter. I believe it plays a big role. And it was the, what are the conservation and socioeconomic impacts of trophy hunting as a form of tourism. Unfortunately, though, I did it at a time where Hunting was getting a lot of backlash, particularly on social media and in the press. So I couldn't really speak to the hunters that I wanted to speak to because understandably, eh. they were worried about me changing their words. And I, I sure. understood, but I always feel my research was incomplete. Eh. Oh, actually, I, um, what you don't know about
0: me is I did my honors and master's research on, in Kruger as well.
3: Okay, nice. Whereabouts? Yeah, I worked
0: on the Northern Plains in Shinwetsi. So oh, I spent wow. pretty much nine, nine months of my life over a two-and-a-half-year period in, on the Northern Plains. And um, most magnificent time of my life. Just I can imagine. Got to go out early, got to come back late, literally had a, uh, a game ranger with me all the time, and we just walked places that nobody gets to walk. It was amazing.
3: Oh, I absolutely love that. That's part of what I love about it is I I myself got my ranger training so I could expose myself to more of that and had to work as a guide for a few years and then through that got roles in not in park management myself but working with the park managers as Mm -hmm. ecologist and priority species monitor and stuff like that.
0: So you got your master's, that got complete.
3: Yeah, that got complete. Again, the research wasn't quite as good as I'd hoped it would be, but it told us something. The money from hunting keeps a lot of these reserves alive, effectively.
2: Yeah, that is, um, you know, it's it's a very difficult thing for someone to swallow. That, you know,
0: especially someone especially people who love wildlife, right? And as when we hunt, we kill animals, okay? And I think the biggest paradox that we have to overcome, and it's a very difficult one because of the conversation around it, is this paradox, which is we love wildlife just as much as anybody else. Yet at the same time, we kill them.
3: Yeah. But people eat meat and still love animals and pets and there's yeah I I don't think it's any different with hunting to those sort of scenarios so again um, I don't hunt myself I haven't before but I have nothing against it and the role it plays I mean you look at photographic tourism people are like oh that's such a better alternative yeah but only if you're in the beautiful places, getting photos. Whereas a lot of these places that maybe aren't so beautiful get kept alive and remain wild because they're hunting reserves.
0: So, Callum, let me ask this question. Um, based on the work that you do, I don't, and again, I don't want you to speak about like the places you work in and whatnot, it's just so that we're, you know, we're keeping you off the grid in terms of your, your I want you to be authentic to your opinions versus worrying about um association to someone or some area and they're like oh we don't like Callum's opinion and Callum's out um you you, you've obviously been in and around different areas photographic
2: hunting areas are there what's the prevalence of how do i catch this question what's the prevalence of
0: the amount of photographics out there and are they struggling are they not are they and maybe you can't speak to it and that's okay if you you can't but from my perspective looking from the outside in you look at South Africa photographics is like just seems like a very saturated market like every place is a B&B every place is come what come look at come take a game drive
3: it's just you know where I'm getting I'm trying to Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's all become quite samey, is that what you're touching on? And yeah, I do agree. And I feel like it's, especially for people from the outside looking in, I, I can only speak for people back in the UK and Ireland. And the way they look at it is it's very black and white. There's photographic tourism, good. These places are there. Let nature be nature hunting tourism wrong but it's as you know it's really not that simple um, what's kept south african wildlife alive and thriving is the fact that we've fenced in these protected areas however that also poses problems further down the line you get overpopulations of certain species and look in an ideal world you're able to open corridors between reserves but realistically that's far from happening effectively alternatively you can move animals between the different reserves to manage genetics but again that's as a best case scenario because I, I use lions and elephants as an example as because I, I feel like they're a good example if you're a reserve that has lions if you don't do anything to them like contracept them or manage their numbers in that way you will get an overpopulation of lions they breed well they're very successful they're the apex predator in this system and when they are overpopulated it has detrimental effects on not only all the prey species in the reserve but other priority species such as maybe cheetah or wild dog that then they get pushed or killed by the lions And those two species are in a much worse state globally, and they get pushed to the boundaries where they come into contact with farmers and livestock and then cause problems there, and then they get persecuted. So the knock-on effect of allowing this overpopulation is affecting a multitude of species. Whereas because humans, we've intervened so much with nature over centuries, The fact that we've got nature now in these small protected areas is great, but we need to manage it because I hear a lot, oh, let nature be nature. But you you, you just can't. I mean, when there's a fence, no matter how big, even the Kruger Park, 2 million hectares, 3 million if you count the greater Kruger, there's still a fence around it. And eventually those animals need to be managed. And... If people can find a silver bullet solution that is fantastic, it ticks every box, everyone's happy, by all means, great. But there isn't one, so we need to use a variety of different management tools to manage the ecosystem as a whole, as opposed to, oh, no, lions are the pretty animal from the lion king. You've got to leave them to do their own thing when you're then ignoring However, many other species in that ecosystem.
0: So, Callum, in your experience, and I get this a lot, I actually have been dealing with it over the last 48 hours a lot. A a common rhetoric, and here's where I want your practical experience on the ground a common rhetoric is
2: don't do anything. Let Mother Nature, Mother Nature will take care of herself. Yeah, that doesn't work. It look if, Why doesn't it work, Helen? Because
3: as humans, we've interfered so much already. There's huge cities. There's all sorts going on. If you let Mother Nature do her thing, for example, say you have a private game reserve, 50,000 hectares, and the lion population keeps growing, what would naturally happen in a huge open system is the males disperse and find other prides, however much of a distance away but when this space is limited and their dispersal they can't go as far what we then have to do as managers and conservationists and under the banner of conservationists I include hunters I include photographic tourists it's anyone that cares about wildlife we need to try and aid these processes first choice you manage to move those lions to another reserve where their genetics will be helpful there and then it takes the burden off reserve one but it's not always that simple either so i I disagree that you can let nature be nature most in south africa anyway most private game reserves are restored farmland if you let nature be nature it just becomes overgrown thickets that isn't the natural way it was before farmland either.
0: Yeah, because the diversity of animals moving, changing. Again, as you said, the the, the human influence on the landscape has changed migration patterns. This has changed the the dispersion uh,
2: components. Um, There also is a, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? An almost artificial
0: system being put in place behind the fence again because there are certain needs of the property whether that's a photographic need or a a certain hunting need you may have 25 species of game behind the fence wherein if you you know rewound the clock and here's another you know thing that people say well it wasn't like that in 1820 it wasn't like that in 1750 i was like yeah you're right. Probably what? There's probably only three species, or four species,
2: but there was also only 100,000 people um, versus 10 million. Exactly. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, then the, the next
0: rhetoric typically is, well, it's all humans' fault. We need to get rid of all the humans. <laughs> and I said,
3: typically, my response to that is, we'll start with you. How's well, that? exactly. And look, four years ago we had COVID. <laughs> that was what COVID was meant to be. But everyone decided lockdown and all disappear. That was Mother Nature's way of controlling our numbers. If we're going to let nature be nature. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I do think sure, it was great.
0: sure. Callum, were you in South Africa during COVID? Yes,
3: I was. Very fortunately, I was in a reserve in the Greater Kruger. And over about 5,000 hectares, there was me and about six other people. So I had a great time. Talk to me about what happened
0: in COVID in South Africa with a lot of these different places.
3: So that was, that's also something a couple years ago I had a few debates about. South Africa and Africa in general was pretty much shunned by the rest of the world. We were quite quick into action. I will commend Cyril Ramaphosa and his government for how they handled the reaction to COVID compared to Boris Johnson in the UK. It was quick, it was clear, and people knew what they were doing. However, the problems came a bit later for us in that if anyone wanted to visit South Africa as a tourist, they were then faced with a two-week isolation in a hotel upon return to their own country thus putting everyone off coming into south africa to see our wildlife and then the knock-on effects that that have were quite severe so most of your guys working in game reserves whether they're working at a lodge um, whether they're a guide whether they're a tracker anyone this is probably the primary source of income for them and an average of between 5 and 10 dependents. And so what was happening when these Western governments were limiting people coming into these African countries, because of, I feel it was ridiculous as well, because see, all mm-hmm. these variants that happened, it was South African science, scientists discovered the Omicron variant, and suddenly South Africa was shunned when it was already halfway through Europe. It's like, no, we've just got the disease specialists that discovered it. And then you've got these guys working these jobs. Then there's no tourism. Everyone has to get laid off. Our government isn't quite as well off as some Western countries. So there was not as much in in terms of a scheme for helping keep people financially going. Then suddenly, instead of one person losing his income, you're losing income for 10 people. And that knock-on effect was quite huge. So in a country that was already suffering from quite a lot of unemployment, it got quite a lot worse. And I do strongly believe that this is
2: because of the actions taken by Western governments. Callum, give us a little bit of
0: insight. Again, don't give me names of places that you work or anything like that. Um, but you, you know, people will look, if they look at your Instagram, and we'll give them your Instagram later, uh, you do some pretty, as what people would refer to, pretty cool stuff on a daily basis. Uh, give us an idea of some of the things that, that you've done maybe in the last week, or what's coming in the next couple of weeks. Maybe you're not so much because it's getting into hot summer, but...
3: Yeah, so as we do, like, like you say, as we move into hot summer, less of this sort of fun exciting work happens but we have still got a few things coming up so one of the big projects I'm working on at the moment is to better understand a lion population in a mountainous game reserve so mountains make it very hard to keep track of these animals but I've been working with a few different things being out in the field I've got trail cameras set up all over the reserve trying to get a grip for what our lion population is and this is to in turn help further management decisions when it comes to introducing new species and how many of them we can bring in so what we've been doing is when we've been finding these prides of lions we've been calling in a wildlife vet we've been darting the lions And we've been doing blood tests just to work out genetics in these closed systems. We don't want inbreeding. But then also we've been branding the animals. Now, this can face a bit of controversy sometimes. However, I would like to say myself, I have three brands on my legs. And I can tell you it's a split second of pain. And then it's a third degree burn that you don't even...
0: Are the brands, were the brands purposeful or accidental?
3: They were purposeful, so one was our <laughs> my ranger training, then it was all my big game encounters, so it was sort of like a, we became very much a tribe when we were doing all our training. Yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. there was a few of us with little C's and T's branded into our legs. <laughs> do the photo
0: if um, i don't know I don't want to assume what the place is that you're working on whether it's a photographic or hunting place with the photographs not um look at it with a little disdain when they come across a line, they want to take a photograph of a line, there's a, a little brand on the
3: line? Of course, and that is always to be expected. However, from my experience, if you make the brand subtle enough, so we have three designs. I'll use my finger as an example. We have a straight line. We have like a squiggly line. I can't quite bend my fingers in multiple ways. And then we have more of a v. And they do typically look like natural scars on the animals. Oh, okay, okay. I'll put it to people, unless they know we've branded them, they can't tell if it's a scar. So it's not like collars on some of the animals, which we've also been doing where photographic tourists are a bit against it. But that's the fact of modern conservation is we've got to do these things so we can better understand these wild spaces, these animals. And look at the end of the day, if you want your pristine no-collar, no this, no that, then that's you. But these animals are still wild, it's still nature, we're just giving the ecosystem the best chance possible.
0: Uh Uh Um, Let me ask you a controversial question,
2: and without me even saying it, you probably know what I'm going to say when it comes to lions. what are your thoughts on the whole?
0: Because I actually just recently watched a video of a PhD who just finished um, a study where captive bred lions were put in the reserve and became, quote unquote, wild managed lions and showed that they went completely back to what they are um, essentially, you know, they went back to being lions. Um, what are your thoughts there to CBL versus wild managed lines?
2: Look, I'm
3: I'm not a fan of the whole captive breeding. I think it's I I understand maybe I can I can understand a bit of the logic behind it, but. I personally don't think it's right. I think lions are incredible animals and they'll always have that instinct to be able to revert to semi-wild. But I personally don't think it's right to raise these lions in captivity, have them be little cubs that people take photos with just to be shipped off to what is yeah, it's it's slightly It's so funny,
0: lofty. man. When somebody When somebody hears about CBL that's in like, against hunting, right? And I'm with you. I my my opinion is exactly the same as yours. But when you actually dig into it, you know, I was a part of it. Like I when I was in South Africa, all of my when we were living there, whenever someone came to visit us, we went to the lion park. And we went to pet lions. And we went and took photos with lions. And I can guarantee you 99% of people that do that do not even know exactly they don't even think like where'd the line come from where the cubs come from what happens to the cubs after i finish here when they get grown you know oh we can walk around the pens oh that's cool again 99 percent of people walking around those pens aren't going oh poor lions they're just like oh that's cool oh that's cool oh that's cool and so i i'm actually quite fascinated by you know obviously uh creasy has made it a the policies now CBL is now done. It's getting shut down. They're trying to figure out what are they going to do now with the eleven thousand lines. Do you think that there is a place? Again, completely your opinion. You don't. You're not representing anyone here. Um, is there a place for taking CBLs and placing them in five thousand hectare places, ten thousand hectare places, fifty thousand hectare places? And becoming
3: what, lions again? See, I was actually having this conversation with a friend the other day, because it is interesting. That's a large number of animals that now they
2: need to do something. And I think, ideally, it would be
3: possible you could get them back into these reserves, five, 10,000, whatever, 50,000 hectares and they could revert back to a state. However, I think the problem comes in is the reality of, do we have those places willing to take these lions on? So, truth be told, I, I don't know. I don't have... Yeah, we, we were having a nice discussion around the braai. Sorry, that's a barbecue for anyone that doesn't know what a braai is. And, yeah, we... Had this same conversation, couldn't come up with an agreed solution. Callum, aren't we facing the same issue with elephants? Oh, yeah. Big time. And the problem is, 30 odd years ago, when culling elephants was brought into practice, the outrage that was brought that came with that puts people off ever doing it again. But the fact is, most elephant populations in southern africa are introduced populations they've been brought in from a source population elsewhere and now they're growing but those populations they grow at a rate of 10 to 12% per year whereas a natural wild population should be between 3 and 4% so the elephant numbers are increasing exponentially and because of the fences that we discussed earlier they they are explorers, but they have to turn back in. They damage the system that they're in, reducing biodiversity. So there's lots of temporary mitigating factors being suggested, but the fact is, probably the most effective solution for elephants is the one that people don't want to hear about. And mm-hmm. yeah, I can understand. I, I love elephants. I wouldn't want to shoot an elephant or be there. But you've got to think of more than just these iconic species sometimes. And those are the tough decisions that park and reserve managers have to face every day. And the fact is, I feel a lot of people look at it from afar and don't see these issues going on. And it would be much easier for these management decisions to be made if there was less scrutiny, but as life nowadays with social media and people passing opinion as fact
2: as well. Mm-hmm. No, and I think at the end of the day, around the world, there's a very common
0: uh, system that is set up. It is a system that is... You've got wildlife, you've got biodiversity, it's very much influenced by humans, it's very much confined by humans. And as a result, and 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 whether and take away even confinement, there's a there's a very large fingerprint of humans on the landscape around that wildlife. And as a result, there is almost a a responsibility of humans to manage that wildlife like you have to do something and the when it simplistically you boil it down and you've boiled it down to it there's only certain
2: things you can do from a wildlife management perspective you can move them you can control the population And in controlling
0: the population, you're either culling the population, you're either hunting the population, or,
2: you know, some out-of-the-box ideas like sterilization. Did I miss any? Like, what else can you do? That's, That's about it, really. And, yeah, so
3: you're also, you're then quite limited because most people don't want to hear about culling or hunting and often if these decisions have to be taken for example with a problem animal like a lion that's breaking into the community it then the cost falls on the park management to kill this lion not only does it take away some from their lion population it they have to bear the cost of it and this is where i argue hunting has its role because you have People willing to hunt these animals that would pay a sum to hunt these animals. That money then gets reinvested in the fence, making it much better and much more improved so that lions don't break into communities. It goes back into the conservation of the reserve. And frankly, this role that hunting can play is a vitally important one because it's minimal impact. You may be getting one guy who's staying a couple nights. He's not fussed about driving on all the roads like the photographic tourists. He's just there to do the job, bring money in. But often park managers' hands are tied, and they're not able to do this.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it is a, it's a common... You, you, you just spelled out a common, a common situation pretty much every right? especially when you flow in human-wildlife conflict. Yeah. And like, I don't know how up to speed you are on the India situation, but the human-wildlife conflict in India is just absolutely skyrocketing. Unbelievable. I talk to a guy very regularly, and in my brain, without knowledge of what's happening in India, you know, I'd love to go to India one day and see a tiger. Love to see it. And I said, man, Rajiv, is it... Is it difficult to, like, go see a a tiger in the wild? He was like, no. He said, you'd be unlucky not to see two on, like, a game drive in a local national park. I was like, what? And then I obviously have now a mole network all around the world, so my phone gets blown up every single day when I wake up. And the kinds of videos that I'm getting from India, You know, black panthers, literally, in cities, taking dogs out. Um, It's unbelievable. The, The wildlife in India, think about it from a conservationist perspective. This is what India has. Lions,
2: leopards, tigers, hyenas, wolves, bears, jackals, now cheetahs.
0: They have, and then that's just the predators. They have everything there.
2: It's incredible. Oh, I' would love to
0: see it myself. It's incredible. It's incredible. Well, callum, look, man, you just stay um stay cool, dude. Um, don't uh, I know you're getting are you going back for Christmas to the u k or anything like that, or you're staying in South Africa?
3: Yeah, so this will actually be the first time I go back to the u k for Christmas in about five, six years. um I'm actually I'm moving on to a new job in January, still based in South Africa, um, so I thought I'd take a couple weeks to spend with my family and experience the cold again, so I'm sure I'll come back with a bit of flu. Are <laughs> uh, you staying in and around the northern, northern province,
0: or where you um, going?
3: Well, yeah, I will, I will be, I'll be moving from Limpopo to base myself in northwest. But then the new role, I'll be traveling around a lot of South Africa and other Southern African countries. So, yeah, I mean, it's the dream job getting paid to visit all these amazing places. What are you you going to do, if you don't mind, if you can say? Yeah, so I'm going to work with an organization that um, will do a few, like, helping rewild areas, um, environmental impact assessments. But the big focus is on cheetah
2: conservation. Are you working with Vic? Vic? Uh, I don't Are know what should... Vic's last name is.
0: He's, a big, no. he's, doing a, he's involved in a big cheetah relocation program. One of the biggest.
3: Okay, is so it maybe? Yeah, okay. Maybe I'll come across him at some it point. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter.
0: I just thought that would, that would have been a bit funny. Would have um, been a seeing world. Well, look, dude, uh, thank you so much for jumping on. Um, appreciate your perspective. And I think what I, what I find really cool about this is, number one, we just randomly connected over Instagram. Loved what you did. I reached out. I said, man, love to have you on the, on the podcast because you, you're living and breathing wildlife conservation. I knew nothing about your background. I was actually a little not hesitant because I like these kinds of conversations. I had no idea what your stance was on hunting. Um, and it could have easily been like, I hate hunting <laughs> and I was ready for it too. Why. Wow, nice. Uh, <laughs> and I, a totally unbiased opinion. You came in, you're like, look, I have no problems with it, which is awesome. And, uh, it's more of the, you kind of people who live in that world that live in that. There's yeah. another guy. I don't know if you've ever met him or not. And you, cause you're in Limpopo, you might've come across him. But if you haven't, he's a kindred spirit, and he's a he's a he's a brilliant ranger. He's a brilliant scientist, and he sits in the middle. He's not a hunter. He hunts, but he's not pro hunting. But he's not pro ecotourism. His name is Richard Sowry.
3: I recognise the name. Not sure if I've met him. He's
0: the he's the current section ranger of uh, in the Pafuri area of Kruger National Park. Okay, that's where I recognise the name from. Um, but he is like. He is the kind of guy that you're like, oh, okay. uses yeah. science, uses data. Um, just a very, very cool dude. If you ever get to meet him, um, nice. it, it's worth the time to sit down for a couple of beers and, sh- and you know get his thoughts. Yeah, that's always good. Well, cool dude. Thank you so much. I much appreciate you. And uh, yeah, um, keep doing what you're
3: doing. Thanks for having me on. really appreciate it, Robbie.
0: Well, that's it for today